In light of today's passage, last week, um, if you were here, we're glad that you're here. It was a good Sunday last Sunday, yeah? A little grumpy I was, but you know how I know it was a Lord's Day, you guys? The Pittsburgh Steelers pulled out the W against the Bills. Amen, anybody? Amen, anybody? Not a single Steelers fan in the house? Don't be shy. I see the black and gold over there. Don't be shy. I saw a Steelers shirt this morning. It riled me up. We beat the Buffalo Bills, just came back, destroyed them. Today we're playing the most thug team in the NFL. It's, uh, I keep saying the Oakland Raiders. It's not the Oakland Raiders. It's the Las Vegas Raiders. I also saw a Tom Brady jersey. If you're wearing a Tom Brady jersey, you need Jesus. I'm glad you're here. Um, yeah. Daniel chapter 6. If you have your Bible app, you can... Go down to the bottom right corner and hit more and go to events. And there's also, if, in case you don't know, we've all been scanning those menus. Each week there's a QR code in the lobby. You can scan that and it will bring the Bible app up for you for the event that has a scripture we're going over. Um, last week was, you know, how do we live under a tyrannical government? And this week is the second half of the story, the very famous story, Daniel and the lion's den. We know this story. We teach our kids this story, which is, in my estimation, terrifying. But I've come just to realize that the Bible is full of very terrifying stories. The Bible has stories that if we didn't make them into children's books, they would be terrifying. The Bible has stories of murder and backstabbing and affairs and beasts and people getting killed in gruesome ways. And when people tell me the Bible's boring, I just assume that they haven't read the same parts that I've read. And this is the part where Daniel is cast in. He was caught in a trap. They set a trap using Daniel's own faithfulness in God against him. And the trap was set. The trap was laid. Daniel did what he always did. He was positioned always to love God, to be before God, to pray to God. He had lived now the better part of 70 years as a prisoner of, a, of an empire that took him from his homeland when he was a young teenage boy. For 70 years, he'd been eating a lot of their food, but not all of it. He knows their language. He knows their culture. He knows their gods. He knows the things that they live for. He knows the hopes and dreams of those around him. And he had been exalted up into positions of power multiple times. But now he gets caught in the trap, and it's ironically by a king who liked him. But the king couldn't go against his own decree. And that's where we pick up the story this morning. I need us to do something as we're, I need us to think about how we can pray for the governing authorities over us, and you're going to see why as we come to the end of this passage this morning. I think right now there's so much contention of us maybe praying against things that we forget that we're called to pray for things, and as followers of Jesus, we ought to be known what we are for, not only what we are against. So let's see what the word of the Lord has for us this morning. Verse 14 of Daniel chapter 6. Then the king, when he heard these words, was much distressed, and he set his mind to deliver Daniel, and he labored till the sun went down to rescue him. Then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king, King, O king, it is the law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king commanded, and Daniel was brought and cast into the den of lions. The king declared to Daniel, May your God, whom you serve continually, deliver you. Spoiler alert, he does. And the stone was brought, 
and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lords that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and he spent the night fasting. No diversions were brought to him and sleep fled from him. Then at daybreak, the king arose and he went in haste to the den of lions. As he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out in a tone of anguish. The king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths. And they have not harmed me, because I was found blameless before them. And also before you, O king, I have done no harm. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him, because he had trusted in his God. That's paused right there in verse 23. How many of you have heard this story before? Show of hands. 99% of us. Okay. Whenever this is portrayed in cartoons, they never portray Daniel as an 80-something-year-old man. As far as I know, there's not an 80-something-year-old in this room right now. As far as I know. Some people are, are knocking on the door. My father-in-law is knocking on the door. You're knocking on heaven's door is what I was saying, Charlie. Check your batteries. Here we go. I haven't had any food this morning, nor coffee. What I, what I need you to understand is that this is an old man who's been doing the faithful things for God that God has called him to do, just like Charlie. Did I make it up for the last dig? Not yet. He's read his Bible. He's prayed daily, just like Charlie, for 70 years, just like Okay, just making sure you're tracking. When the government positioned against Daniel or for Daniel, it didn't change what Daniel did. Daniel was doing the same things whether the government was for him or whether the government was against him or whether there was this season of his life, it seems, where he just goes and there's not really any stories about Daniel. There's decades of his life, but when you read it through in the Bible, you think, man, this guy just sees miracle after miracle after miracle, and then we expect to see that. We think, God, you're not working, but sometimes I'm sure there were nights and weeks and months where Daniel was praying three times a day, 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 3 o'clock, every day, saying, God, can you do this? God, can you deliver me from this? And it says that Daniel would always pray with his window open, facing Jerusalem. Daniel missed home. Daniel knew where his allegiance lied, and yet he stayed and prayed and did what God had called him to do. And now we get to this very famous story. And in any story in the Bible, a good rule of thumb is the, that every story that we read, for the most part, especially in the Old Testament, but even in the New, it, it always has a connection back to the first three pages of the Bible. If you ever wonder, okay, what does this have to do with the big story of the Bible? Every story should take you back to the first three pages where God made everything and it was declared by him as what? good. And then they messed it up, Adam and Eve, because they grabbed fruit from the tree. They wanted to choose good and evil for themselves. And then it all unraveled. But in that story, there's something that is very unique. Humans and animals are different. People ask me, 
not often, but often enough. I'm sure if you've ever served in ministry or teaching, those of you who have pastored, um, people ask you this question. Will I see my cute little Maltese padoodle cup dog in heaven? Right? Has anyone wondered that? I'll tell you the answer right now. No, I'm not going to tell you the answer. Go discover it for yourself. It's not good, but look in Ecclesiastes maybe, okay? And it's not that I, I formed that doctrine because I am extremely adverse to cats. I like dogs as long as, um, never mind, that was going to be a bad joke. Sorry, I got to calm down. Let me just pray for a second. Okay. Most likely animals don't go to heaven. It's not definitive. I know. But here's what's important, that we are different from the beasts. We are not beasts. And in the Garden of Eden, God gave us dominion over the beasts. In the New Kingdom, if you've not read Revelation, when we're actually going to be heading into the end times in the last part of the book of Daniel, starting in chapter 7, it goes into these weird, crazy end times visions with beasts with four heads and all these crazy things that are flying around. We're going to explore and unpack what that means. But... Right now, I need you to understand something. There will be a day where we will resume our dominion and our ruling, rulership over the animals in a way that we don't have now. If you run into a lion now, you should not try to talk it down. If you run into a bear now, you should not try to pet the bear. If you run into a gorilla now, just give up. They're angry. But this moment where we have an 80-some-year-old man sitting in a den of lions that were intentionally starved so that they would be hungry. And Daniel says, yeah, the angel just came in last night and said, shh. One day we get to have this relationship with the the beasts again, where we will have dominion over the beasts because it is the way God ordained things. It is only in this broken world that we don't. In the new heavens, in the new earth, I've organized a hippo race. Some of you know about this, some of you don't. I love hippos. Did you know they're one of the most dangerous animals on the planet? They will kill you. So for about uh, 20 years now, actually, two decades, in my youth ministries, at the schools that I've taught at, at the places where I've gotten to go um, guest teach, I've often asked people, hey, when I get to heaven, I love hippos. I'm organizing a hippo race. And this is not an exaggeration. There's over 10,000 people who in various talks have said yes. Like, I want to be a part of your hippo race, Ryan. When we get to the new heaven, we're going to line them up. And I'm going to get on my hippo with my hippo saddle, whatever that looks like, and we're just going to roll out. We're going to thunder through some plain, some prairie. I don't know how long it's going to be. I know that I'm not going to win because I invited Jesus multiple times, which is sort of an unfair advantage since he made hippos. But I think about the, the ruling aspect over the beasts. We've, we've forsaken a lot of the ruling that God gave us. And we don't even use that word really in our culture. We have like managers. We have bosses. And, um, but we don't like rule over beasts. Some of you had maybe a pet gerbil that you toyed with when you were younger. Some of us think that we're rulers. But it, like the McDonald's. If you're managing the McDonald's, you don't rule the McDonald's, right? Right? I mean, your employees might think you rule the McDonald's, but you don't rule the McDonald's. But God has called each of us to a type of 
ruling authority that we've given up. And whether it's ruling first your own being, learning to subdue the things around you, there's something to cultivating the earth. There's something to raising animals, which we are so far removed from. The majority of us have not ever raised something. Well, actually, I'm in Florida. This might not be true anymore. Where I grew up, the majority of people had not raised an animal that they also were sustained by. Has anyone done that? See, I'm in Florida. I knew it would be different. You guys raised something that you ate? Did you name it? Crispy bacon? Googly? Did you eat googly? You intended to until what? That dog went to heaven. That dog didn't go to heaven. That turned dark real quick, Chapel family. <laughs> we are given our homes to rule, our families to rule, and we are called with the authority of God to rule in a way that God rules, which is with more life, not death, more forgiveness, not grudges, more strength, not anxiety. Daniel knew who his God was, so when he was thrown into the den, I would have been freaking out. I don't know about you. I try to put myself in the Bible story, so I'm thinking, okay, if I'm of the age or I'm, I'm getting discounts at IHOP, I can't run my speed, I'm not strong like I used to be, my eyesight's going, my hearing's probably diminished, and you're going to put me in lions, a lion den. I'm not sauntering in there as calm as I've seen every depiction and cartoon of Daniel doing. I'm not. I'm freaking out. Daniel just goes in and the king says, may God who you serve continually deliver you. And Daniel just went in. I don't know if he sat down. I don't know if he paced the room. I don't know if he eyeballed the lions. Here's one thing I'm quite confident of. Around the time that he would have normally been praying or thought to pray, I'm sure he was praying a lot more in between. I don't know what that prayer is. See, we pray for things like this. Lord, I'm going to travel, so can you please grant me traveling mercies? God, my kids are going to a new school. Can you please put a blank of protection around them? Hedge, which is the weirdest prayer. Like, don't put a bush of protection around your kids. Put a wall. Be a helicopter parent. I don't know what prayer you pray when you're walking into angry death. Daniel knew God in such a way that he prayed and he was delivered. Some of you will not be delivered. For some of you, it will be a quick accident. For some of us, it will be a disease that slowly deteriorates. For some of us, it will merely be the marching on of time that slows our body until we meet our Lord face to face. You can have anxiety about it, or you can do what Daniel did. 
have a life continually built on connecting with God so that when these moments come, it doesn't matter which way it goes because you're connecting with God. The Apostle Paul says he counts all things as lost compared to knowing Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul lamented. He said, I want to go see Christ. I want to die because it means I get more Jesus, but I stay here for you. I don't think Daniel was worried. I think it must be nice to live in a culture where there is not a machine that gets paid based on our fear, that gets paid based on our uncertainties and doubts. What Daniel had was a king who would make declarations and then they would have to submit or not. What Daniel did not have was Twitter. Daniel didn't have Fox News, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, Facebook, fact checkers, Snopes, the CDC, the WHO. He did, Daniel didn't have any of this. We have all of these things. And it's hard for us to manage because it's, we want to click it. We want to click the headline. We want to click a headline of, of something tragic. The headlines that are amazing and positive, we don't click those. I've been following this story this week of this young girl who's gone missing, Gabby Petito. Some of you may have heard of her. I know a lot of the kids have if you're on the, the Tiki Talkies and the Snapchatters. Uh, she went missing. She was one of these van travelers with her fiance. And uh, the fiance arrived home with the van without his fiance. And he's in Florida. And now he's gone missing too. He's been missing for a couple of days now. So he got home. The cop said, you're a person of interest. Stay here. And then boom, he went missing. I don't know much, but I know Floridians. He's missing somewhere in a preserve. That sounds sketchy to me. But this girl's missing somewhere in who knows where. And I'm watching this, and I can't even help but to click on it. I'm like, what's going on with this human that I don't even know, Gabby Petito? And there's these theories, and then there was this cop body cam footage because they got pulled over somewhere in Utah because there was a domestic dispute, and, and all of this footage and the facts are all coming out, and it's, it's like gripped me, and I'm sad, and I think, like, how do I raise kids in a world like this? I thought that last night at the King Senyera party. I have, uh, I have two sons and two daughters, and, and I always, I tell you parents, I'm watching your kids. If your kids are a few years older than my kids, I'm watching you to see how it's done. But last year, the girls were dressed to the nines, dressed to the nines. They had, like, dresses on, which I don't, I'm not a fan of as a father, okay? Um, one of the teenagers here in the Chapel family, I found out they got a boyfriend, so I was quizzing her. I said, how, if, I, if I quiz this guy... If he comes in, I'm going to say, how many books are there in the Bible? I'm going to ask him to tell me the gospel in 30 seconds or less. And then I said, can you show me a picture? I just want to make sure he wasn't bigger than me. And then I was, I said, you know, you got to, I was telling the dad, make sure you get your bad boys partner, like Will Smith and Martin Lawrence. So the first time he comes over, you threaten him, but just mildly passive aggressive threats. But this world that my kids are growing up in, I thought, and we think our world is fast, we have no idea. If you're, if you're over the age of 35, the speed at which our children are being immersed in information and change and direction, in the change of opinions and what they're taught, 
not from the schools, but in what they're taught from their peers and what is accepted in regards to sexuality, to morality, to good and evil, where, where the, the children are able to choose, this is good, this is evil, I make up my own rules. It's the same story that happened in Genesis page 3. That I want good and evil for myself. I'm not going to let someone else, like some God who feels so far away, dictate it for me. It's the same thing that's happening over and over and over again. And if you think that our anxiety is bad because we got holed up and ate too many ding-dongs for a year of pandemic, you should take a step back and look at the mental pressure that's being applied to our kids. Not just in the things that they have to do, but in the things they love to do. Sometimes I feel like YouTube and Fortnite are the parents of my children and I'm just on the back burner of the stove. And then I remember when I was growing up, don't let your kids watch too much TV. But when I was growing up, you didn't have to worry about it because it would get all white and fuzzy and you could only hit the TV so many times. Half of my life watching TV was watching One Life to Live because I had to hold the antenna up for my mom and it used my body as a signal booster for her to watch her show. These kids are flying through. The young people are flying through. If you're 30 and under, the amount of pressure to know things is immense. The amount of fear-driven headlines that you're reading is off of the charts of what any human in, in any period of history has ever dealt with. And you, yes, there have been worse periods, like the Holocaust. It was worse physically for them. The terrifying part for me as a father now is that I don't know that the church is preparing our young people to be this type of faithful. To be someone who is so committed to the purposes of God and to saying, God, I give up and I let you define good and evil and I'm going to follow your path even if no one else does. Even if I get thrown into something where my life is at risk. Even if I get thrown into a den of lions. Even if I get thrown into persecution, thrown into jail, put into some camp. Even if someone tries to take my freedoms. Just a reminder, I love this country. Like, I love it. I don't love it as much as some of you, but I love it a lot. I love the freedom to do what I want. But as I said last week, the freedom we have in Christ supersedes any freedom that a, a constitution gives us. The freedom we have in Christ cannot be taken from us because it was not earned by us. Freedom in a country in our country specifically, was earned by the blood of people laying down their lives to be able to choose for themselves and not be compelled to one religion or another. When our freedoms are threatened, we can fall into anxiety and worry, or we can just sit down with a warm glass of milk and remember that God's in control. When Daniel came out, I just love that scene. I don't know how this sounds, but Daniel said, the angels came and shut the lion's mouths. Just shut the mouth of a lion. Do you guys ever do that thing with your spouse when they're breathing and they're about to fall asleep and you just plug their nostrils? Is that just me? Okay, it's one of my favorite games, okay? I'm a mouth breather, clearly. And uh, my wife is a nose breather, which I think is healthier. But when she's dozing off, and she loves when I do this, by the way, I just take both fingers and I just plug her nose. And then she, she does one of those things like, 
And I just think, like, she was so close to dying. Every time. <laughs> so close. And it astonishes me that we forget. We forget that God says our life is just a breath. Breath. It's over. We forget that God sustains every breath that we take. Every breath you've taken since we got here, it's only been taken because God says, I will let you continue to breathe. We don't even consider our heart. Every heart that beats. It's why I don't like doing cardio, because what if we only got assigned a certain number of heartbeats, and I work out too much, and I use them too much? I don't want to do that to the Lord or my family. But we, God knows. God says, there's not a bird that falls outside of my care. So, Ryan, I know your hair, your heart, your breath. There's a day, Ryan, that you cannot escape. We are all in a sick and twisted sequel of Final Destination 17 right now. You can't escape what's coming. And I know I've been talking about death so much recently is because there have been so many people so afraid of it. So I'd just like to remind you each week, you will die. Is God in control now? Yes or no? Will he be in control on the day that you die? Yes or no? And you may be afraid. I've sat next to beds of people who have died with the face of Daniel on them, men and women, who I, I just knew. They were unafraid. And then I've sat next to people who, with all of the strength left in their body, were squeezing my hand, not knowing what would happen as they walked through the door from this life to the next life, begging me to pray. I've had people ask me on their deathbed to, to pray multiple prayers can you pray Catholic rites over me? And I was like, don't know them. Can you pray any other denomination rites? It's like, I'll pray every prayer that I have in my brain. The people that were st stable, that worry was not grabbing them by the soul, they went peacefully. It's a remarkable thing to be around death. It's the only taboo we have left in this culture. There's nothing else that's taboo anymore. Sex isn't taboo anymore, any type of it. Um, you know, debauchery, create the VMAs that I watched the clips of. There's nothing that's taboo in our culture except for death. Because death reminds us that we will see something on the other side. Some of you may be here thinking, well, how do you know it's God? I don't. How do you know it's not? You don't. You can go through this life worrying about your death or you can embrace this life and squeeze the joy out of it that God has designed for you. To rule and to reign, to love and to forgive, to build things out of the raw material that God gave us and make this place better for human flourishing. That's what our jobs are. Any job that you have is part of this beautiful picture of making this world better, not making it worse of asking the simple questions that I'm asking now as a father. How can I make this life trajectory for my children better, more God-centered, more God-like, more God-honoring? I, I keep wrestling. Like, do I want to homeschool my kids? Do I want to keep them in public school? I just don't know. I don't know what the process of renaming them is to Hezekiah and Obadiah and Jebediah and Ruth. 
Sorry, that's only for the homeschoolers. That's mean. But remember that young teenage girl at the chapel I told you? I said, where does he go to school? And she said, he's homeschooled. I said, he's probably got one of those Old Testament prophet names, right? Guess what his name is? Isaiah. <laughs> you can't even write this stuff. It's not that I joke about it. It's that it's true. But the amazing thing happens with Daniel is that he's kept safe from the beasts. Some of you will be kept safe from some of the beasts in your life. The crippling anxiety, the disease, the coronavirus, the cancer, some of you will not be. The last two weeks are a real pick-me-up now that I'm thinking about them. But then the king commanded, and those men who had maliciously accused Daniel were brought and cast into the den of lions. They, their children, and their wives. Boom! Put that on your children's wall. So the moral of the story is um, those who plot against God will have their justice in the end. And that wasn't even God doing it. That was just King Darius. I'm not calling on anyone to take justice into their own hands. We have in the church a terrible, terrible habit of taking pieces of God's job description and putting them on our job description. Our job description is to have faith in God, to trust God, to follow God wherever he leads. God's job description is to judge the living and the dead. But think about that. I read the Old Testament, so sometimes I just giggle when people try to come against the church. One of my favorite stories, because I'm a pastor, there's a prophet named Elisha, and this is straight in the Bible. Kids called him Baldhead. I called someone bald recently, two people actually, as a matter of fact, and I was reminded of this story in my own head, because they called this prophet Elisha Baldhead. You know what? You know what Elisha did? Whatever he did, he prayed a bear out of the woods and ate the kids. Why don't we put that in our children's ministry wall? <laughs> Whenever my kids are mean to me, I'm like, you know, I'm a prophet, right? Tell me my hair's thinning again, I dare you. Because you know in Florida, it's not a bear that's coming out of the woods. It's some kind of cockroach with legs. Just come swoop them up like a terra cockroach dactyl. You go against God's people? Sometimes judgment will happen, sometimes it won't. But in the end, those who follow Christ will be with him, and those who don't will not. So King Darius, in verse 25, writes to all the peoples and nations, languages that dwell on the earth. He said, I want everyone to know this. Everyone's going to know this. Peace be multiplied to you, I make a decree. His first decree was, make it all about me. And if you don't make it all about me, then I'm going to throw you in the lion's den, not knowing that they were tricking Daniel to his death, and they ended up getting eaten alive with their families. And then Darius now sees it's not about me. It's about this God, the God of Daniel. So in every language, in the known world at the time, in his royal dominion, people are to tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. If you see the if you see the indents in your Bibles or in your Bible app, it's, he's going into song. He's breaking into song here. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who, is, who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. 
Now I need to ask you a question, and I am tired, and I feel it just draining out of me. The question is this, have you ever heard of another story where someone was put into a cave and had a stone rolled in front of it with a governmental seal upon it, and then they made it out of the cave only to become the ruler forever? Does this sound familiar to anybody? Okay. I just need to make sure we're connecting the dots. Jesus is the true and better Daniel, who, though Daniel went into a cave to face the judgment of a king, Jesus went into a tomb to face judgment for me and you. Daniel was given life. Jesus was granted death before becoming brought back to life. The God that he is pointing to, that Darius is saying, this kingdom will never end, was established circa 30 A.D., when the king of kings, which is what Darius called himself, and what Nebuchadnezzar called himself, and what Belshazzar called himself, the king of kings went into a cave, allowed himself to be consumed so that we would not have to. This is the good news. For all of the griping and whining, for all of the infighting, for all of the fear and doubt and anxiety and uncertainty and worry, for all of the clickbait headlines of the world is going to end, civil war, freedom this, vaccine that, and my colonial antibodies, is all the news. It's like, if you don't get this and this, if you don't get this, all these things that are trying to pile in. Can you sing this song at the end of your day? God is a living God. He endures forever. His kingdom shall not and cannot be destroyed. His dominion shall be to the end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and in your life. It's the God who saved Daniel from the power of the lions can save you from any power that you think would be too frightening, too life-draining. Perhaps the thing we haven't done is simply to ask. I've been... I've been begging God for a couple things for a long time now. And every once in a while, I get into these modes where I'm like, I'm just going to get really serious about it, God. I'm just going to, I'm going to pray. I'm going to labor. I have alarms because we're going through the book of Daniel. I set an alarm on my phone for, for 9, 12, and 3 because Daniel prayed at 9, 12, and 3. I don't have to pray toward Jerusalem because Jesus is the new Jerusalem. He is the temple that was destroyed and rebuilt on our behalf. And he is within us. I'm trying to position myself, whether it takes one year, one month, or 10 years, or 20 years. I'm saying, God, I just need an answer. I, I don't care if it's no. It would be so helpful to have an answer. Yes, no, answer. You know how often God just does that? Hardly. But I'm begging God for an answer. And then I begin thinking, Man, I'm praying for such self-driven things. Things for myself, things for my wife, things for my children, which isn't bad to do. But what Daniel did is he prayed in such a way that his whole government went from, let's throw a, let's throw a believer in a sentence of pain and death, to now the government says, this is the true God. If you don't think that God can turn a government back to him, and Hear me when I say this. I don't know any politicians in Washington, D.C. personally. I can only tell 
from what they do, that they're not obsessed followers of Jesus on the primary. Like, I don't think they're up there in the halls of Congress, walking by one another's offices saying, hey, did you, uh, did you do your Bible reading this morning? The one that we're doing on the YouVersion Bible app together? I don't foresee either party doing that. And I'm sure that there are believers in Congress. I'm confident of that. But I just don't know that it's this wide saturation where they would declare and call a press conference and say, you know what, God has done something here. So everyone in America, listen up. Yahweh of the Bible, He is the living God. His kingdom endures forever. America will one day fall, but not now God's kingdom, that won't fall. Some of you are thinking, well, that, that could never come out of this current president's mouth. Bet me it couldn't. Are the odds stacked against my favor or yours? Can God change anybody? I'm here preaching. My friends in high school would never believe you if you told them that. Some of you are here. Some of you wonder, maybe as often as I wonder about you as well, how in the world did I become a follower of Jesus? Some of you wonder about your spouses. How did they change so much? I told you, my mother enrolled my brothers in Christian, in Christian schools. When I got saved, God turned my life in such a direction that my mom thought it was like a magic genie potion. She enrolled both my younger brothers, who are much younger than me, were nine years apart to the next one, then 17 to the youngest one. She put them in Christian school. And she said, whatever God did to you, tell God to do it to them before they become what you were. That's some of you. You might be here thinking, well, do I have to get all my act together? How, what, how, what do I have to do to get God to love me? God did all that he had to do in and through Jesus to love you. He's calling you to faithfulness, not so that you can secure your vertical standing of rightness with God, so that you can avoid the horizontal consequences to stupidity that we call sin. Because sin is paid for, it's done between you and God. But sin in this life will still have consequences of stupidity, brokenness. You'll still go to jail. You'll still get hurt. You'll still hurt others. You'll still be hurt. God doesn't want us to not sin because it's some rule in a checkbox. He wants us to not sin because he created us and knows how we operate best. He is the owner's manual to the being that we are, to rule and subdue and to multiply on this planet. So next time someone confronts you for something that they say, yeah, I can't believe you're sinning in this way. You say, I can't believe it either. Thanks be to God that he paid for that sin and that I haven't had to suffer the consequences for it yet. Help me to get over it. You see, sin isn't this thing that we should look at with fingers wagging. The lady at the photo booth last night, um, she said, Are you, you're the pastor, I heard, right? I said, yeah. She said, can I ask you a question and can you give me a short answer? And that's how she prefaced it. I said, okay, I'll try. And she goes, what's the difference between you and the Catholic Church? And I said, how short of an answer do you want? Or how long of one? She said, do you know anything about the Catholic Church? And I was like, I know you can't tell, but I'm half Filipino. Every one of my uncles is named after a saint. My grandfather studied in a Jesuit school. So I know a little bit about it. 
And she said, well, what's the difference? And I said, I'll tell you what happened to my grandparents who grew up in the Catholic Church their whole lives. They came to hear one of my very first sermons, and they walked out crying on the patio, and they said, we never knew that God's love was so free because of what Jesus did. And that was it. And she just stood there with the gold backdrop and the flashing machine thing, and she just thought about it. That's where I should have been a good pastor and said, would you like to hear the gospel of Jesus? If I were Charlie, I would have had my booklet with the four spiritual laws. I didn't have it. I was just so tempted to go dance to the wobble, wobble, wobble song. But there is a king, and he lives forever, and he wants to have a relationship with you. There's no magic prayer. There's no magic routine you have to go through. Be in a relationship with God and pursue him. Position yourself so that when he wants to speak to you, you can hear him. Block out the noise and the things that try to grip you with fear, remembering that perfect love casts out all fear. Let's pray.